Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hello? Aaron, hey man, it's Luke. Hey Luke. Hey, so I was thinking about how this whole like stay at home, shelter in place thing feels kind of like the whole world got grounded. And you strike <laughs> me as a person who probably got grounded a lot as a kid. So I was curious if you remember, <laughs> what was your like favorite pastime when you were grounded as a kid? Maybe people can, you know, learn a lesson from you. Oh, that's a great question. Well, I read a lot of Mad Magazine. Yeah, you strike me as that also as a kid who would read a lot of Mad Magazine. <laughs> Mad and cracked. Remember that one? I didn't know cracked. I didn't know mad. Yeah, so I liked reading mostly just like humor comic books and stuff like that. I don't know. I wasn't really that bad, but I like that you think that I was a lot cooler than I was. (sighs) Okay, well, so how are you surviving being grounded this time around? I'm going a little berserk, but I'll tell you this, Luke. I was reading a mad magazine today. (laughs) I thought mad magazine had died like a while back. Nope. I still get a subscription. That's amazing. All right. Well, maybe then we can point people to Mad Magazine. (laughs) Thanks for your help. Anytime, Luke. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Okay, see ya. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronner. This is Season 2, Episode 16. Quarantine Countdown and Cartoon Collaboration. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, April 21st, 1990. Hello friends and welcome once again to 30 Pop. As always, I'm so grateful to have you with me on this journey back in time to look at all the pop culture happenings from this week in 1990. But before we jump in, I do want to take a quick minute so we can all offer our sincerest thanks to my brand new patrons, Christina M. and Luke G. They and the rest of my patrons are helping to fund these weekly expeditions down memory lane, as well as the storytelling work of about a dozen other podcasts that are part of my little company, Mill U Media Group. So, on behalf of everyone listening, Christina, Luke, thank you. Really. Now let's do what we came here to do. 30 years ago this week for the fourth and final week, the number one film at the box office was the practically perfect first installment in the otherwise not-so-great Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film franchise. A film which I loved then, love now, and will likely love forever. And which I discussed at length a few weeks back with my 13-year-old nephew Jake and my 30-something-year-old cousin-in-law Caleb on episode 13 of this season. Be sure to check that out if you missed it. And if you, like me, are still sheltering in place and you're looking for fun things to do, that first movie is available on Netflix. And speaking of things that are available on Netflix, just for fun, here are my top five throwback classics that are currently available to stream, be it on Netflix or Hulu or wherever, while you wait for the world to reopen. Number one, a film that inspired my high school experience in so many ways, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. 
What is so dangerous about a character like Ferris Bueller is he gives good kids bad ideas. Well, why should he get to skip school when everybody else has to go? Syphilitic meningitis. He never gets caught. This guy in my biology class said that if Ferris dies, he's giving his eyes to Stevie Wonder. Well, he's very popular, Ed. I recall Central Park in fall. Ferris Bueller, do you know him? Yeah, he's getting me out of summer school. They think he's a righteous dude. Think he'll be alive this weekend? I can see him denying popular beliefs, setting off on some impossible mission. He jeopardizes my ability to effectively govern this student body. He does whatever he wants. You know, as long as I've known him, everything works for him. Whatever he wants. He's very cool. And he never gets nailed. Ferris can do anything. Oh, he's such a sweetie. Wake up and smell the coffee, Mrs. Bueller. It's a fool's paradise. He is just leading you down the primrose path. Matthew Broderick. Bueller. Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's day off. Because life is too beautiful a thing to waste. There are no words to sufficiently articulate my deep, deep love for this movie or its title character. It's funny, actually. Just about every role I've ever seen Matthew Broderick in since he played Ferris has been at least a little disappointing because, as it turns out, Ferris was just a role. I always wanted that to be who Broderick really was. But, alas, all we have is the one movie with this charismatic character. On the bright side, at least it's streamable on Netflix as of this recording. Number two, another charismatic character who's currently streamable and well worth revisiting, is the one and only Lloyd Dobler, John Cusack's character in the masterpiece that is Say Anything. I'm going to take out Diane Court. Diane Court doesn't go out. She's a brain trapped in the body of a game show hostess. We don't want to see you get hurt. I want to get hurt. Diane Court. Hello, Diane. Hi, Lloyd Dobler, sir. I'm an athlete, so I rarely drink. Kickboxing, you ever heard of kickboxing, sport of the future? I can see by your face, no. My point is you can relax because your daughter will be safe with me for the next seven to eight hours, sir. Did you really come here with Lloyd Dobler? Looking for a dare to be great situation. Thanks, tough boy. Can't have any social life right now. What are your plans for the future? Spend as much time possible with Diane. No, really. I'm totally and completely serious. I decided not to sleep with him, but then I attacked him anyway. Told your dad? Gave my heart and she gave me a pen. Dude. Where'd she dump you, man? Her car. Uh, Your car? Dished in the valley. Say anything.
If you're new to 30 Pop, we covered this show in depth a year ago this past week on Season 1, Episode 9, Trench Coats, Tchotchkes, and True Love. And I actually had the great privilege of interviewing both John Cusack and Ioni Skye, each of whom were lovely human beings. Say Anything is available on Hulu at the moment, so definitely treat yourself to a quarantine viewing if you're a subscriber. But Lloyd Dobler isn't the only 1980s kickboxer you can revisit while you're stuck at home. If you need a little more action and, well, blood, then there's number three. Jean-Claude Van Damme is Kumite conquering U.S. soldier Frank Dukes in Bloodsport. For centuries, the Society of the Black Dragon has sanctioned an ancient rite of combat known as the Kumite. Open only to the world's most lethal warriors. It has never been won by a Westerner. You are not Japanese. I can do it. Now, for the first time, the true story of America's super agent, Frank Dukes, can be revealed. Uncle Sam can't afford to let you get hurt. I'm going to Frank is going to fight in the Kumite, and we're here to stop him. An awesome human weapon. There's me just looking at it. Who infiltrates the Chinese underworld. I did not come this far to stop now. Baker. To enter a forbidden competition. Couldn't you just get me in? Strict rules. No press. You're telling me you never break rules? Where every fighting style... Savage combat. Time to separate the men from the boys. And only one will triumph. Now I will break you. International martial arts sensation Jean Claude Van Damme. And Bloodsport. The true story of the ultimate champion. It's hard to imagine that much of this film is actually true, and I doubt Jean Claude won any awards for his acting in this movie, but. Whatever. I loved it. That one's on Netflix if you're looking. But if that's a little too intense for you, or if you need something more suited for younger eyes, then how about number four? It was a quiet Saturday morning. Zelensky! Give it a rest! It's Saturday! Professor Wayne Zelinsky was hard at work on his new invention. This thing works. It'll put us right up there with the invention of electricity. That didn't quite work. Did you get the machine to work? A few more bucks to get out. Then something quite unexpected happened. Where are the kids? I haven't seen him since I left this morning. It shrunk the kids. Nick, what happened? It works. Diane, I got something real important to tell you. Are you trying to tell me the machine works? Do the kids know? Well, yeah, the kids know. That's great. It's not that great. Why? I shrunk the kids and the Thompson kids, too. They're about this big. Threw them out with the trash. Ah! What? They're in the backyard. Walt Disney Pictures presents The Last Frontier. Dad can fix us, right, Nick? Ah! I'll tell you their size. It's a jungle out there. Now, while the professor is looking for the kids, just gotta keep our eyes open. They're taking matters into their own hands. I say that Anne is ours. They better behave themselves. Something's very weird here. What is it? Rick Moranis is Professor Wayne Zielinski. Are you saying that that 
machine blew up my kid? No, no, no. no, no. If the machine no. had blown up the kids, there'd be pieces of them everywhere. Wayne, did you report some missing children? Oh, there must be some mistake. Ours are in the backyard. Right, honey? Honey, I shrunk the kids. We're all the size of boogers. Friends, this movie brings back all the nostalgia for me. It's currently available on Disney+, and if you haven't seen it in a while, or like I said, if you have kids around, this is definitely worth watching again. Rick Moranis is such an 80s movie icon, and from all reports, the nicest, most down-to-earth, regular guy there ever was. Lastly, if you're looking for something funny after the kids go to bed, a personal favorite of mine and my lifelong best friend Nathan Schartz, rest in peace, is the 1988 pun-laden Leslie Nielsen slapstick crime comedy, The Naked Gun. In this city, there's crime on every street. But one man has seen enough. He's Lieutenant Frank Drebin. Whatever scum did this, not one man on this force will rest for one minute until he's behind bars. Now let's grab a bite to eat. He's a good cop who's having a bad day. His best friend... Oh, everyone should have a friend like you. ...is in a coma. As soon as Nordberg is better, he's welcome back at police squad. But I wouldn't wait until the last minute to fill out those organ donor cards. His girlfriend... ...asked him to look her up. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. Let me help you with that. And his city is in the hands of a master criminal with a sinister plan. I must kill the queen. How can any police story contain this much action? This much romance? I like cops. Or this much baseball? Starring Leslie Nielsen, a cop who's always on the alert. Mikhail Gorbachev. I knew it. Queen Elizabeth, everyone's favorite queen. Priscilla Presley, a woman who really cooks. How hot and wet do you like it? Ricardo Montalban. I'm in. Frank. You're both right. George Kennedy, the partner with an appetite for danger. O.J. Simpson, as you've never seen him before. And Reggie Jackson in his first dramatic role. In a movie so big, it had to be filmed in color. The Naked Gun, from the files of Police Squad. Coming this Christmas to a theater near you. See you then. Everything about this movie is over the top and completely absurd in all the right ways, and I have tons of great memories of watching it over and over again when I was probably way too young to get how inappropriate it really was. So, there you have it. My top five throwback movies to stream while you're stuck at home during these crazy times. I'd love to hear some of yours, too. Hit me up via email or on social media at the links in the show notes and let me know what your go-to 80s and 90s quarantine movies would be. Now, moving on. The top album in the country this week in 1990 for the third and final time was Bonnie Raitt's Grammy-winning Nick of Time. She'll lose that spot next week to the off-controversial Irish singer-songwriter Sinead O'Connor, whose cover of Prince's song, Nothing Compares to You, took over as the top single on the Billboard Hot 100 charts 30 years ago this week. 
We actually got new number one songs on all the Billboard charts this week in 1990, or at least on the ones we track on this show. The top R&B and hip-hop song in the country was Ready or Not by After Seven, a trio made up in part by Melvin and Kevon Edmonds, two of the older brothers of renowned producer, singer, and songwriter Kenny Babyface Edmonds. The number one song on the hot rap chart was Murder Rap by Above the Law, a track produced and co-written by legendary sonic influencer Dr. Dre, the video for which featured cameos of both Dr. Dre and his NWA groupmate Eric Eazy-E Wright. At the top of the hot country chart for the first of three weeks was the somewhat forgettable Love on Arrival by respected hitmaker Dan Seals. In television news this week in 1990, on April 21st, we had one of the most unique and distinctly 1990-ish events in broadcast history, with the multi-network simulcast collaboration Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue. Now, this was wild, and I vaguely remember it, but basically this was an anti-drug and alcohol TV special featuring characters from all the various major network cartoons and aired simultaneously on, well, like, every channel. It featured, in no particular order, Alf from Alf the Animated Series, Huey, Dewey, and Louie from DuckTales, Garfield, Bugs Bunny, Alvin, Simon, and Theodore, Daffy Duck, Michelangelo from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Babies Kermit, Piggy, and Gonzo from Muppet Babies, Slimer from The Real Ghostbusters, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, and Papa Brainy and Hefty Smurf. And ironically, the storyline is one that A, was almost certainly written by someone under the influence, and B, would probably be especially interesting to watch with a little herbal enhancement if that's your thing. It's the story of a young girl named Corey, whose older teenage brother, Michael, steals her piggy bank to buy marijuana to smoke with his friends. As soon as he does, the Smurfs climb literally right out of the pages of a comic book. Just as Alf climbs out of a picture frame, Corey inexplicably has at her bedside and wakes up Garfield, who is actually a lamp, and invites him to join in helping to wake Corey up. Winnie the Pooh, the stuffed animal under her arm, also comes to life and suggests letting baby Kermit, who is actually an alarm clock, wake her up. When she wakes up, curious why she set an alarm on a Saturday morning, Slimer, who is apparently a real ghost, comes through the wall into her room and shines a spotlight, which he had just eaten, from his mouth to where the piggy bank should have been. The chipmunk sneak into Michael's room and discover a box of drugs, which he hides under his bed before leaving to go buy apparently even more drugs and get stoned at the arcade, as most of the cartoon characters follow along to help. The first puff we see Michael take of his new joint, he exhales into a villainous cloud of smoke, which follows him around whispering temptation into his ear for the remainder of the special. Michael's friends like the weed okay, but things get really exciting when one of them whips out a fistful of crack cocaine, immediately throwing it on the ground at Michael's feet when they hear the sound of police sirens and flee the scene. The cop winds up just being Bugs Bunny in a police hat with a time machine in his pocket, which he uses to take Michael and his evil smoke friend back two years to remember why he started doing drugs in the first place. He takes a similar journey later in the special when, after falling through a manhole in the middle of the street, Michelangelo, the Ninja Turtle, leads Michael on a trip through his own warped brain by unplugging the sewer drain, which begs the question, where do the contents of a sewer go if they're drained? Is there, like, another sewer? Anyway. He also sees into his own future later in the special when Daffy Duck shows him through a crystal ball that he will eventually become nothing more than a shriveled, toothless, needle-wielding, walking dead zombie lookalike with a bad case of the shivers. And yet, even that doesn't convince Michael to quit doing drugs. What finally does it is when he walks in on his smoke villain friend trying to get his little sister Corey to do drugs. 
In a fit of protective rage, Michael grabs the smoke by the tail and hurls him out of his bedroom window into the back of a garbage truck, then walks out with Corey to confess to his clearly inattentive parents and ask for their help with his addiction. While all the various cartoon characters leap together into a poster on the wall, whence none of them originated, to live, presumably, happily and drug-free ever after. One moment I failed to mention, but for which I've included a video link in the show notes, is when, in the middle of this whole bizarre trip, the cartoon characters join together in serenading Michael with a song about how there are a million zillion wonderful ways to say no, which I'm almost certain is not factual. But the song was co-written by Alan Menken, the genius who composed the music for The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and tons of other amazing 80s and 90s classic film soundtracks. I have no idea what sort of impact cartoon all-stars to the rescue have on the rest of the world, but as a person who wouldn't taste my first beer until I was 27 years old, I have to assume that I saw it and found it deeply compelling when it aired. Also, I'm pretty certain this has to be the single longest synopsis of that special ever written over the course of the last three decades, so I'll move on. The final notable piece of pop culture news from this week in 1990 was the birth of gifted actress and feminist icon Emma Watson, who I believe makes the world a wholly better place to live. Happy birthday, Emma. Friends, thank you so much for listening as always. If you love listening to this show as much as I love making it, here are a couple ways you can help me do so. First, Rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and over at podchaser.com, which, if you don't know, is kind of like IMDb for podcasts, but with a completely agnostic, in the computing sense, system for ratings and reviews. This show has been stuck at 99 ratings, most of which thankfully are five-star on Apple Podcasts for, like, months. So, if you want to help out, go push me over that 100 mark. And if you want to help out even more then consider partnering with me for as little as a dollar a month at the Patreon link in the show notes for this episode. Huge thanks to longtime patrons Darcy Freeman, Daniel Campbell, and Lisa Gill for their ongoing partnership in producing this and every other Mill U Media Group podcast. That's it for this episode, friends. I hope you'll all stay safely but socially distant from one another between now and next week when I'll be back with another peek into our collective past. Until then, remember... When your pals say let's get wrecked, muster up your self-respect. Go on, push eject. Protect yourself, get up and go. There's a million wild and wonderful ways to say no. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>